0: I tell you, if we knew what Jesus has already done for us, it would just transform everything. I've got a teaching out there entitled, you've already got it. So quit trying to get it. You need to get that. But the truth is people are trying to get healed when they've already been healed. They're trying to be blessed when they're already blessed. They're trying to be prospered when they've already been prospered. God's already commanded all of these things. And the only thing that keeps it from functioning And working in our life is our unbelief. We just don't know what we've got. Religion has been telling us that we've got to do something to get God to move. The truth is God's already done it and it just needs to be a renewing of our mind. Look over here in Ephesians chapter four. I'm gonna go back and just summarize some things that I've already said and we're gonna continue. But in Ephesians chapter four, this is what I started talking about last night that the ministry gifts, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher are not given so that God can do everything through them, but rather they were given to teach every member in the body of Christ, the things that have already happened so that we could come to the fullness of the stature so that each one of us could contribute. And the body is supposed to be out doing the work. This is the reason That I am really pushing all of our prayer ministers and our Bible schools because, brothers and sisters, one person is never, ever, ever going to get the job done. We've got to get every member of the body of Christ functioning and flowing. And this is what Ephesians chapter four was all talking about till we all come in the unity of the faith under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And this is what we're trying to do with everything I've got. These services, if you haven't noticed, are different than a lot of services where you come together and you get everybody all worked up and fired up and lathered up. And then here's the anointing of God and God is here. And for the next five minutes, if you'll run to the front, you could receive from God, which again... There are times that the presence of God manifests and shows up and I'm not against that. There are special times, but we have developed a mindset in the body of Christ that there's just little windows of opportunity and there's only certain people who are anointed by God and the rest of us are just left out in the cold and we've got to go from one meeting to the next to follow the anointing of God. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. I've heard people stand up before and say, well, the anointing left, the anointing lifted, I'm through. And there's still a hundred people in line. And I just think, isn't that pitiful for those hundred people that are still in line and the anointing lifted? That's not the way that God is. Now I will say this that you know what? You can only do so much and you get tired. And I've had to tell people before, I've just prayed for everybody I can pray for. I'm sorry, come back tomorrow. But I'm not gonna blame God for it, it's me that's lifted. It's me that's tired, amen. God doesn't come and go the way that we've represented Him. He's already done everything, and we are, it's very ineffective to have just one or two people that God can flow through. Every one of you have the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living on the inside of you. And you can do the same works that Jesus did if you begin to understand these things. So our whole service is trying to teach the word of God. We bring all of these materials. We have Bible schools. We've got online things. We're doing everything we can. Our website has how many? Two, three hundred, four hundred of my teachings that are free. You can go down there and download everything. I've got Tens of thousands of footnotes on, on uh, I think it's 16,000 verses in the Bible that you can read and study. We're doing everything we can to get the word of God out into people because it's the word of God that's gonna transform you and help you to reach your full potential. So this is what all of this is about. We, it, we are supposed, Those of us that are called to a full-time ministry are supposed to help equip you so that you can go out and do the ministry. Shepherds don't have sheep. Sheep have sheep. The sheep ought to be the ones reproducing new believers, not the shepherds. The shepherds should be tending the sheep so that the sheep can go out and have sheep. And then we, we uh, wound up in verse 17. This is Ephesians 4, 17. And here's one of the results of all of this that we should know more... Um, Or excuse me, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And this is what I majored on on Thursday night that we've got to change our thinking. If you won't change, it starts with the way you think. Proverbs 23, seven, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Second Peter chapter one, verse three says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of him that has called you to glory and virtue. We've got lots of people that are praying for peace. They want to get rid of depression and discouragement and fear, and they are wanting peace in their life, and they're praying and asking for it. But the Bible says grace and peace comes unto you through the knowledge of Him that has called you to glory and virtue. And then verse 4 says, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, according as His divine power hath given unto you all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. All things, that means healing. That's something that pertains to life and godliness that comes through the knowledge of Him. That means prosperity. That comes through the knowledge of Him. That means marriage and uh, harmony in your relationships. That comes through the knowledge of Him. If you've got a problem in any area of your life, you've got a knowledge problem. You aren't thinking properly. As you think in your heart, that's the way that you are. I can say that easier than it is to live it, but it's the truth. And I know many of you think it's not that simple. It is that simple. The hardest thing you'll ever do is renew your mind and get to where you walk in what the Word says when the whole world is screaming something else. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's this simple. It's this simple. You think according to the word and you get the word of God results. And then in verse 18, it says, having the under, this is a result of thinking the way the world thinks. You will get your understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And I talked about that this morning. And then I went over to Genesis chapter three. Let me turn back over there and just continue illustrating this. This is how Satan came against Adam and Eve in the first place. He came with thoughts. He didn't come with some superior animal and force them into compliance because Satan has no power to make anybody do anything. I meet people all the time that say, the devil made me do it. The devil is doing this. Would you please rebuke him? The devil can't make you do anything. The only way Satan can have an inroad in your life is you to give it to him. And it doesn't have to be through sin. It could be through thinking, through wrong thinking. You just thinking that, well, I'm nobody and I don't have any power. It's you preachers. I need you to pray for me. You know what? That's wrong thinking. And that will give Satan inroad into your life. It'll give him control because you don't understand your rightful place and your authority and the power that God has given you. And that will let Satan take advantage of you. But Satan cannot come and overpower you no more than he did Adam and Eve. He had to come with words, with deception, and he challenged the word of God. And the point I was making this morning is that if anything, If it's a television show, if it's a news broadcast, if it's a movie, if it's a book, if it's a magazine, if it's a friend, if it's a relative, whatever it is, you need to do what Romans 3, 4 says, let God be true in every man a liar. And anytime something comes against the truth of God's word, that ought to end your conversation. That ought to end your viewing, your participation. And a lot of people don't like this because it means you couldn't be up on all of the sports. You couldn't win all the trivia games and the things that are so important. And most people are just not willing to live a separated life like that. But I'm telling you that this is how Satan came against Adam and Eve is with this knowledge that was contrary to the Word of God. If they would have just said, we're sticking with what God says and we will not consider anything contrary to God and what he said, that would have been the end of it and we'd still be living in paradise. Or probably somebody else would have messed it up, but we wouldn't have had it happen right here. And so anyway, he came and he also pointed out the one thing in creation. This is another tool of the devil is that when he's telling you something, he'll focus your attention on what you don't have instead of all the good things that you do have. Satan is very negative and he will amplify the negative. And boy, is this happening in our society. Our society doesn't tell you about the thousands of planes that land safely. They tell you about the one that crashes They don't tell you about all of the good people. You know, they will take a race thing like this. uh, I forgot his name, Trayvon, uh, somebody that was shot. And they'll tell, and they'll talk about this and they'll talk about race things. And because of that, they just keep this all stirred up. But they don't tell you about, look how many people we got in here of all different races and you're loving each other and stuff. And they don't talk about all of the good things that are happening. (laughs) And if you aren't careful, you'll get to where you just focus on all of the negative and you will develop an opinion that's not a correct opinion because the news media, it's bad news that sells. Telling about all of the good things, telling about all the people who are loving each other, about all the people that are forgiving each other. You know, we had the Barrettos come up here and talk about God put their marriage together. They won't put that on the news. Who wants to hear about a marriage that's working? (laughs) But if they killed each other, that'd make the news. They just gravitate towards the negative and this is a ploy of the devil and we are living in a time where we're just uh, inundated. It's like a tsunami of bad news and most of us have been raised in it and don't even realize how negative we are. But i tell you what, if you listen to all of this negative stuff, it's gonna make you negative. I saw a bumper sticker one time that says, if you aren't worried or depressed, you aren't paying attention. And you know what? Excluding the Lord, if you just subtract God from the equation, that is absolutely true. I mean, our nation is going to hell in a handbasket if you don't factor God into it. I believe God is raising up some people and things are changing. But in the natural, I just saw a statistic this week that uh, pregnancies, first child being born out of wedlock has increased 83% in eight years. The number of women, have, women having their first child without being married increased 83% in the last eight years. You know what? If you just look at that stat, that's discouraging. It takes away your, your joy and your peace thinking, man, are we winning? Are we making any difference? But when you factor God into it, it changes everything. So my point is, there's plenty of negative things out there. If you want to look at it, if you just follow the way that the world thinks, something's wrong with you if you aren't depressed. But if you factor God into it, man, you can have joy unspeakable and full of glory. I don't care what's going on in your life. And so Satan pointed out all of the negatives, the only negative in creation. He didn't mention all of the good things. And then look at Eve's response here in Genesis chapter three, verse two. It says, and the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Did you know she added to what God said? You can read this over in the second chapter. It should be close, right on the same page for me. But here's what the Lord told Adam in Genesis chapter two and in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, Thou shalt surely die. Eve said that in the day that, um, excuse me, in verse um, 3, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, and neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The Lord didn't say you couldn't touch it, He just said, Don't eat of it. You know, the moment you add to what God said, You've just set yourself up for failure. Satan loved this because now, see, he could come against this and he could attack this thing about that you can't touch it. And he could say, touch it and see if you'll die. And if you look down here in the sixth verse, it says in verse six, that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, comma, and did eat. You know, the way that it it didn't say that she took of the fruit and did eat. She took of the fruit, comma, in other words, she touched it. And when she didn't die, when nothing bad happened, she was emboldened to go ahead and go the next step. She broke her rule first and then she broke God's command. And this is what Satan always does. You know, it's like building a house and... Here's the foundation that is anchored on the word of God. If you build on it, it'll withstand the storm. But if you start building over here on something that's not founded on the rock, you get your foundation off of what God says, that's gonna fall. And we have so much religious traditions today and people saying that you can't do this and that you can't wear makeup and women can't wear jewelry and they have to wear their skirts all the way to the floor. And we have all these religious traditions, which there's some benefit to it because what it's basically doing is trying to promote modesty. But instead of just, you know, saying be modest, they put all of these rules down and say that you can't wear makeup, you can't have any gold or jewelry. And people wind up rejecting these religious rules. And when they see that they don't die, well, then they just reject all the other religious rules. They can't distinguish between the one that God gave and the one that religion gave. And it's it's a problem. David and I were talking this week about a person who Rejected God because of religion saying that God caused all of the things that God is sovereign and just moves and nothing happens without God's uh, permission. And because a person saw the fallacy of that, they wound up rejecting the whole thing. Religion just always adds to it. And so anyway, this is what Eve did. She added to it and says, we can't even touch it. That's not what God said. And then the devil. Just flat out spoke a lie here in the fourth verse. The serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods knowing good and evil. And you know, he said part of these things were true because when they did eat of it, the Lord said, who told you that you were naked? And they told him that they ate of the fruit and, and uh, you know what? Their eyes were open. It says right down here in verse seven, and the eyes of them both were open, but they their eyes weren't open in that they knew they were God's. Their eyes were open to see their own nakedness. He said a half truth. They did perceive things that they didn't know before, but it didn't make them better it made them worse. The truth is they were more like God before they ate of the tree than they were after they ate of the tree. The devil took a lie. He took a half truth and perverted it. And let me just say some things here. The reason I'm bringing all this up is to say this is how Satan comes against us. He doesn't come against you and force you. There's not gonna be any demonic power that comes upon you and compels you to go do something. You know, Flip Wilson made it popular to say that the devil made me do it. But the devil never made anybody do anything. All the devil does is entice you and tempt you. And you have to believe his lies, buy into his way of thinking in order for the devil to have any power or influence. And these verses are telling us how Satan tempted the original couple, Adam and Eve. And the scripture says that there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. So the same way that he tempted Adam and Eve is the same way that he tempts us. So if you learn how Satan tempted Adam and Eve and see where they made a mistake, you can see how you could correct this and how you could do things differently. So he came against them through a subtle animal. He challenged the word of God. And here's another point I want to make. He made them dissatisfied with what they had. And what they had was perfection. They were living in paradise. And yet Satan got them to thinking that there was more. Did you know that our world system, Satan is still using this exact same ploy with people today. If you want to go to one of these seminars that tells you how to prosper and how to you know get rich quick and how to do stuff, you know, I can guarantee you every one of those seminars will spend the first part of that seminar planning dissatisfaction on the inside of you and saying, are you content with the way you're living? Are you content with just living here? Are you, don't you think that there's something more? I remember one of them I went to, it showed a guy that didn't look like he had a brain in his head. He just looked like a guy that had nothing going for him. And this guy used to be poor and he came up with some ideas and came up with some inventions and now he has his own jet and he flies and they were showing all of the stuff that he had. And you know what they were trying to do was to create inside of you a desire that man, don't you want more? This is still how the devil works. He he creates dissatisfaction on the inside of you. And Adam and Eve were living in a perfect world. Now that we're on this side of the fall, we could look back and think, you know what? We should have been, they should have been absolutely content, but they didn't have the comparison that you and I have. And they fell for this lie that there had to be something more. Let me show you another uh, group of people that fell for this same thing over in the 14th chapter of the book of John. This is Jesus. And he was speaking to his disciples the night before he was crucified. And he told them, don't let your heart be troubled. He told them about heaven and my father's house or many mansions. And then he said in verse four, he says, and whether I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus just said, where I'm going, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said, we don't know. He didn't know that he knew, but he did know. He knew Jesus, he just didn't know that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And that's what Jesus goes on to say in verse 6 Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. They knew Jesus, but they didn't know that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And they didn't know, they didn't understand all that they knew. They didn't have a full revelation of it. But I'm telling you, when God says, you know, It would be to your advantage to say, what do I know? Or (laughs) tell me what I know or help me. But rather than to just say, I don't know and just counter what he says, that's not smart. You know, the Bible says by his stripes, you were healed. And people all the time, well, I'm not healed. I don't care what the Bible says. Here's my doctor's report. And this proves it. I've got a pain right here. And this proves that I'm not healed. You may not understand, but the truth is that God has already placed on the inside of you the same power that raised Christ from the dead. You have raising from the dead power on the inside of every one of you. Inches away from the cancer that's killing you is resurrection power that is more than enough to heal cancer. The truth is you have been healed. You got to learn how to get it out of your spirit and flow through your understanding and into your body. But you know what? You do have it. And rather than just sit there and say, well, I'm not healed, man, it'd be to your advantage to say, God, if I'm healed, then teach me how to get this healing manifest. But we just counter, we do the same thing that they did. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the father, but by me. If you had known me, they knew Jesus Like in the natural, they knew him with their mind, but they didn't know him heart to heart. They didn't know who he was. They didn't have a full revelation of who he was. You know, they had seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And just hours after that, they were in a boat and it was about to be swamped with water. And Jesus came walking to them on the water and they cried out for fear and thought it was a ghost. You know, if they would have really thought about this miracle of feeding the 5,000, anybody who could feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish and have more left over when he got through than he started with, anybody who could do that could walk on the water. And he was the one responsible for him being out there on the water. I'm sure that they were praying and asking for help. They should have expected to see Jesus. But you know what? They were just thinking carnal. They didn't really know who Jesus was. When they saw him glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17, they were just shocked. And yet this was the same Jesus. It was just like he pulled back the curtain of his body and let who he really was on the inside shine out. And when they saw his glory and saw him literally radiating light, he wasn't reflecting it, it was coming out of him. When they saw this, they were shocked, but they shouldn't have been. That's who he was all along. They just didn't know who he was. They didn't have a full revelation of it. And so this is what he's referring to. He says, if you had known me, they knew him. They could have told you how tall he was. They could have told you the color of his hair, the color of his eyes. They could have told you his features. They knew his physical person, but they didn't know who he was. He's referring to, if you really knew me, Spirit to spirit. And let me just put a little PS right here. Some people sit there and think, oh, I wished I could have been one of the disciples. I wished I could have known him. I wished I could have seen him. Did you know you can know him spirit to spirit and you can know him better? The disciples knew his flesh. But that flesh actually, in a sense, was a hindrance. It was a blockage to them knowing him heart to heart because they looked at his physical person and they tended to default to what they saw with their eyes. We don't have a physical representation. We have to know God spirit to spirit. John 4, 24, God is a spirit and those who worship... Him, must worship him in spirit and in truth. We have to relate to God spirit to spirit. And in a way that's great because we can know him better than his disciples did. Man, that's awesome. I could get plum off the subject and preach on that, but this is what he's talking about. If you had really known me, you should have known my father also. And from henceforth, you know him. And have seen him. And Thomas said, or Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it satisfies us. He just got through saying, From this time on, you have known the Father and you have seen the Father. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. He just said, You've seen him. And they said, We hadn't seen him. Show him to us. And we'll be satisfied. You know what he's saying? He's saying, We aren't satisfied with you. But if we could see the father, he was wanting to see heaven open in some kind of a throne in the glory of God. If we could have some physical representation, some physical natural experience, we would be satisfied. Jesus, I'm not satisfied with you, but if I could see the father, then I'd be satisfied. He didn't realize what he was saying, but that's exactly what he said. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And from this time forth, you've seen Him. You know Him and have seen Him. And they said, nope, that's not true. Show it to us. And then we'll be satisfied. I'm not satisfied right now. If you aren't satisfied with Jesus, you just are too hard to satisfy. But you know what? These disciples weren't satisfied with Jesus. And lest we be hard on them, let me just say that, you know what? Many people sitting right here in this room are not satisfied with the way God has set things up. Jesus said in John chapter 16, let me just turn over and read that since I'm right here close. John chapter 16, verse seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you. The word expedient means to your advantage. It's more advantageous. It's better for you that I go away For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Jesus said, it's actually better for you not to have me here in my physical body ministering. It's better to have the presence and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit than it is to have me in my physical body here. This is what Jesus said. And he left the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I will send the Holy Spirit and he will stay with you forever. Did you know that this is where we live in the church age? The Holy Spirit is in this room today. And some people say, well, I don't see him. And you know, there's clouds that come in and I'm not saying those things don't happen. I've seen something on the internet of a cloud that came into Bill Johnson's meeting. I don't doubt that it happened. That's not a problem, but you know what? Whether you see it or not, the Holy Spirit is here. And people, if they can't see it, they just don't. They're doing exactly what Thomas and Philip did. Lord, I don't see anything. I don't feel it. I don't have a goose bump. Nobody's run the aisle. Nobody's rolled in the floor. I hadn't heard any screaming or shouting or people bouncing around on the floor. I can't see or feel it, so the Holy Spirit's not here. So therefore, I don't care what your word says, you aren't here. And we'll pray prayer in our churches. People will pray, oh God, we ask you to come and be with us today. That's a stupid prayer. (laughs) Why are you asking God to come and be with you when he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And then they'll pray, God, go with us as we leave this place and just keep your hand on us throughout this week. When he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always. We're doing the exact same thing that the disciples is doing, saying, God, we're not satisfied with the way you set it up, but give some manifestation. Let us see a glory cloud. Let us feel something physical. Oh God, do something in the natural and then we'll be satisfied. Satan has made us discontent with the way that God set things up and we are looking for something else. You still got your finger over here in Genesis chapter three? Well, keep it there and go back to Ephesians chapter four. And let me just continue what was said in Ephesians chapter four. In Ephesians chapter four and verse 18, it says that if you think the way the world thinks, you will have your understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And then in verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Did you know that those words don't communicate to most of us? We don't use the word lasciviousness and stuff like this. And so it's just a disconnect and most people don't meditate on this. But what he's saying is that if you you start thinking the way the world thinks, It takes away your understanding. You don't know, you get blinded to these things. You become alienated from God. And then verse 19 says, you've gone past feeling into lasciviousness. What this is talking about is God's the one that gave us feelings and emotions. And there is a right use of emotions. I haven't got time to teach on that. But today it has gone way beyond what God ever intended it to be. We have gone past feelings into lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is just talking about an indulgence of every lust, every desire. And this is really descriptive of where the world is today. The world is basically out there unbridled, thinking that you've got to indulge every sense, satisfy every desire, When the truth of the word says that you're supposed to deny yourself, you're supposed to mortify the deeds of this flesh and you're to deny yourself. And our society today is not denying very much. We are lusting after everything. Again, I'm not saying that God doesn't want to meet your needs, but you know, how, how big does your house have to be for you to survive? How many bathrooms do you have to have to take care of business? (laughs) How many beds can you sleep in at one time? How fancy does your car have to be? And yet, brothers and sisters, I can guarantee you the average person in here, you are living to the hill. You, if you have a certain amount of money come in, you go buy everything you can on credit up to that amount. And you are just barely keeping your nose above water. That is not what the word of God teaches. The word of God teaches that you should live less than what your income is so that you can have to give so that you can save up and prepare because there will be some bumps in the road. And yet the average person isn't living that way. They're indulging every lust. And then our marketing comes along and capitalizes on this and tells you, why should you wait? Man, you can get a brand new car right now for nothing down, no credit check, But I can guarantee you there's nothing free. They're going to get you sooner or later. But people will think, well, man, I could do this right now. They aren't going to check my credit. It's only so much per month. But what you don't realize is they'll string the payments out over five years or six years. If you pay for a car over five years, 80 to 90% of the time, you're going to come up upside down in it. The car won't last that long. Something will go wrong. It is a trap. And they don't care about what happens to you. They get more money out of you. You will pay for a car twice what it's worth if you pay it out on credit. And yet most people, I've got to have a car. You don't have to have a brand new car. You can go buy a secondhand car and save the money that you would be paying in, in payments. And then in five years... Take all that money that you saved and go buy you a car. And if you still can't get the biggest, the best, well, keep doing that same thing. And in another five years, you'll have a trade-in. You do that. And I guarantee you soon, you'll be paying cash for your cars. You won't owe any man anything. You'll wind up saving lots of money. But again, people don't think that way. They, they aren't thinking about blessing other people and about doing all of this. It's just, they've got to indulge every sense there are people that can't live without the newest iPhone, without the PlayStation or whatever it is and all of your little gadgets and stuff. And again, there's nothing wrong with those things in their place. But I'm saying we've developed a mentality that I've got to satisfy every lust. I've got to have everything right now. That's what the Bible calls lasciviousness. We've gone past just enjoying ourselves and And feeling good into lasciviousness, into uncontrolled, unrestrained lust. We're being dominated and controlled by it. This is not what God intended us to be. And it's actually a result of what started in the garden. Satan made Adam and Eve think, I don't have enough. It's not enough. I'm dissatisfied with being perfect. I'm dissatisfied with a perfect environment. I'm dissatisfied with the perfect mate. I'm dissatisfied with the perfect climate, with the food being perfect. They didn't have to take supplements. They didn't have to worry about greenhouse gases. Everything was perfect. And they got dissatisfied thinking, I don't have enough. I've got to have more. If you can make perfect people living in a perfect environment dissatisfied through deception, then guess what? Certainly imperfect people living in an imperfect world where there's so many things wrong, I guarantee you Satan can make you dissatisfied if you choose to just focus on all of the negative things. You have to learn to be content. Look at this passage over in Philippians chapter 4. This is the Apostle Paul talking. And he, he said in verse uh, 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Paul wrote this letter from prison. He was in prison facing possible execution. And he, uh, the Philippians, he says in this very chapter, are the only church that ever gave to him after he left their area. He had some other churches that when he was there, people would feed him and people would help him and his crew that was with him. But the Philippians, he said, are the only church that ever gave to him after he left the local area. Boy, that is a sad statement. But these were the only people that ever did that and they gave twice and they would have given more, but Paul got put in prison and then he was in transit to Rome and he got shipwrecked on an island for a year and they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have the internet. They didn't, he couldn't keep in touch. They didn't know where he was, so they couldn't help him. But when they finally heard that he had landed in Rome and that he was in prison, immediately these Philippians for the third time sent relief to him. And that's what he's talking about. And he said that he rejoiced that their care had flourished again. And then in verse 11, he says, not that I speak in respect of want. In other words, he says, the reason I'm rejoicing isn't because I was needing these things and I just am so glad that now my flesh is taken care of. He was rejoicing because of their love. It had blessed him to see people that loved him and wanted to be a blessing to him. He could get along without the physical things. That's what he's referring to. So in verse 11, he says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therein to be content. Paul had to learn contentment. Contentment isn't something that just automatically comes. Most people think that if I just had more, if I had a bigger house, a bigger car, more things, more money, more retirement, more security, if I had more of all of this stuff, then contentment would just be a byproduct. How's that working for you? Most of you in here are more secure, have more things, more gadgets, more stuff than your parents did. Certainly, than your grandparents did, and you know what? Most of those people were happier, more content, more positive than you are. Contentment does not rest in how much stuff you have. Having stuff, thinking that that is going to fill the void on the inside of you—it's—it's it's not that way. It's like a drug addiction. If you start indulging self and thinking that I'm just going to satisfy everything and I'm going to get me everything I want, self is like a dope addiction. You can never satisfy it. You'll have to have a bigger high. You'll have to have more stuff. You'll reach a level. Many of you have already obtained to things that you thought would have satisfied you and you aren't satisfied yet. Paul said, I have learned to be content." Contentment is a choice. It's not a state of being, it's a state of mind. You have to choose to be content. I remember going to Romania. Jamie and I went to Romania. And this is, be, uh, this is right after Ceausescu was killed. It was in 89, right after the Berlin Wall fell in November. And we were over there, I think in December. December. And we got to go meet these people that we had been using to smuggle Bibles into the country. They had, uh, the guy that we used, they would go out in the forest and leave a note and somebody would collect it and they didn't call each other by name. It was really cloak and dagger. And this is how they'd been doing for years. And. Now that Ceausescu and the communist government had fallen, it was the first time that our guy and the the people who smuggled the Bibles in had ever met each other. And we got together and uh, met them and we brought in 10,000 Bibles and gave 10,000 Bibles away in four and a half minutes. The people were so hungry to get the word. And anyway, as we visited with this couple, they just told us all of these stories. The woman had been a professor in one of the universities in Romania. And when she converted to Christianity, they kicked her out and put her in some kind of a menial position. And she just struggled. Her husband had been tortured and put in prison and beaten many times. And uh, the communist cultural leader's daughter had beat up their daughter because their family was Christian. They turned off their electricity. They went through an entire winter with no electricity and no heat In their place, they had ice an inch thick on the ceiling, the walls, and the floor throughout an entire winter. They took the car battery out because they also wouldn't give them any rations for um, fuel. And so they took the car battery out and they ran one little light bulb so that their daughter could do her schoolwork and try and pass school. And she was beat up. He was put in prison. They went through all this. We brought them. I think it was two sausages, if I'm not mistaken, and two uh, deals of cheese that were about this long. And they broke down and cried. That was over a year's worth of supply of meat for them. Their normal meal was pig lard spread on bread. And they would fry it sometimes. Sometimes they'd just eat lard straight. They were all overweight. It was unusual for a person to live beyond 50. They suffered, suffered, suffered. It was terrible. They were beaten. They, they were uh, monitored. They bugged their house. Just on and on and on and on it went. And they told all of these stories. And the man who was our contact, who had been contacting them all of these years, he says, why didn't you ever accept our offer to come to the United States. We were going to smuggle you out. We would sponsor you. We had people that would help you. Why didn't you ever take any of our offers? And I never will forget this woman. She said, you Americans, you think that we got to have all of these things to be happy. She says, why would I want to leave my country? She says, I love it here. I love what's going on. And she says, who would minister to the Romanians? She says, there's things more important than having electricity and having certain types of food and stuff. And she says, we're happy. Why would we want anything else? And man, I just left there thinking, God, forgive me. God, forgive me for the times I get discouraged because I don't have this or I don't have that. We have become so materialistic. We have bought into the lie, many of us, you are dissatisfied. I have people come in my prayer lines and they'll come up and they'll just crying and they're saying, I'm so depressed. And I say, what's wrong with you? And they say, well, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> they don't even have a reason. They just don't feel right. They don't even have something bad that happened. They just don't feel excited. Man, I just if I was God, I'd just drop kick them right into space. I'd turn you into a pile of ashes. You don't even have a reason for it. I just don't feel good. You know what you need to do is pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up. You have to encourage yourself in the Lord. Paul said, I have learned to be content. Contentment doesn't come automatically or as a byproduct. When there are no problems, then you automatically be content. Discontentment is just a state of a fallen human being. And you have to encourage yourself in the Lord. You have to learn to be content. You have to intentionally focus on the good and start going through and rehearsing how good God is and praising him for how good things are. And most people aren't taking that responsibility. You know the Lord told us in in uh, John chapter 14 verse 1. He was speaking to his disciples the night before he was crucified. And he said, "Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me." Did you know most people would think that's unreasonable? How dare him say that? He's insensitive. They were going to see him crucified. They were going to see him arrested. They didn't understand the resurrection. They thought it was over. They thought that he had lost. And most of us would say something would be wrong with you if you just don't fall apart like a $2 suitcase. If you don't, if you aren't in grief, matter of fact, psychology would come and say, something's wrong with you. You're in denial. And we would criticize people that you're holding it in. You need to vent. You need to let it out. Jesus told his disciples they were going to see him arrested, tortured, beaten, crucified. And he says, don't let it bother you. See, most of us take a promise about let not your heart be troubled. And we say, okay, as long as it's a hangnail, as long as it's, you know, I've just got a tiny, tiny headache. As long as it's minor, I'm going to rejoice and work my way through it. But if you have something big happen, we feel absolutely justified. Matter of fact, we feel something would be wrong with us if we don't just absolutely fall apart and our life go bananas. We sit there and think, What's wrong with you? Christians would criticize you and say, You you aren't facing your grief, you aren't dealing with things. That's not true. The scripture says, Don't let your heart be troubled. We don't need to put limits on it. You know, some of you have heard me tell this story, but it's a classic story. I really like this one. And I was in Charlotte, North Carolina and one of my partners there has a business and he always has me come in and speak to his staff. And he tells them the clock's running. You listen to this guy as long as he wants to talk. And I just minister to him about the word. And so anyway, I did that one year and about 10 of his people came back to a break room after I had talked and they got born again and awesome things happened. And there was this one woman who had tried to kill herself the day before. And she was in the hospital because she had slit her wrist. She had been married three times before. I think this was her fourth marriage and her husband had told her he was gonna divorce her. And so she was going through her fourth divorce and she it was just more than she could stand and she had tried to kill herself. So she came back to this place where I was and she was just crying. And she says, I'm not a Christian like you and Chip, the owner of this business. But she says, I know that God is real and I know that prayer works. And she says, would you please pray for me? I just can't stand to go through another divorce. And she asked me to pray that she wouldn't get a divorce. And I just stopped this woman and I said, now let me make sure I understood this. You aren't a Christian and you know you aren't a Christian. And she said, that's right. I said, if you were to die right now, you would go directly to hell and not to heaven. And she said, that's right. And I said, and you want me to pray for your marriage and not pray for your salvation? And she said, yes. And I said, lady, do you realize that after you've been burning in hell for a thousand years, you won't ever give a rip whether this marriage worked or not. Who cares about your marriage? I said, you need to be saved. And it's just like I slapped her. This woman quit crying and she looked at me and she says, you know, I think you're right. (laughs) And so I prayed with her that she would get saved and she got born again and asked the Lord into her heart, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then we prayed for her marriage. I'm not saying that God doesn't care about your marriage, but see what I'm saying is some people would say, oh yeah, I'm supposed to rejoice. It says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I think that's Philippians 4.4. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice and people see that, but if something really bad happens, you just think, well, that doesn't apply. Now this doesn't work in certain things. If you're going through a divorce, you should just be heartbroken. You ought to be in misery no, you should rejoice in the Lord always. I'm not saying that it doesn't hurt, but I'm just saying you don't give in to that hurt. What you do is focus your attention on God and you focus on the positive things. And there's still positive things. I mean, if nothing else, you ought to praise God for that scripture that says in heaven, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Praise God. I'm never going to have to deal with this in eternity. And you ought to be praising God that you're never going to have these problems in eternity. Or you could turn over to the scripture that says, though, you know, other people forsake you. I'll never forsake you. I've engraven you on the palms of my hand. And you could say, Father, thank you that you'll never divorce me, even though I deserve it. If I was to get what I deserve, you'd leave me, but you'll never leave me nor forsake me. And you know what? If you were to think like that, you could find positive things, even going through a divorce. Some of you think, but what if they told you you're going to die? Well, you sing the song when we all get to heaven, what a day that's going to be. And then the doctor tells you you're going there and you cry. Something's wrong with this. (laughs) You know, if you were to, I believe God wants you to be well. But if you looked at it right, you could be like the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter one. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm having a hard time deciding whether I want to stay here or go to be with the Lord. And if you were thinking on the positive and thinking about that, if you die, that's not the end. It's the beginning. Man, it's going to be infinitely better in heaven than it is here. And if you were thinking correctly, even if you died, if you were facing death, you could say, Father, thank you then I know it's your will for me to be well and I believe I'm gonna be well, but if it didn't work, I still am gonna be awesome. I'm gonna be in your presence and you'd lose that fear and you'd find out your faith would operate a lot better if you weren't fighting all the fear and the worry. I'm telling you, I don't care what you're going through. There is a way for you to put a positive spin on that and see the goodness of God. You know, I held a minister's conference. Charlie and Jill were at this minister's conference. They can verify it. And Pastor Bob Nichols is a friend of mine. He was sitting on the very front row and I was preaching along these lines, preaching this same stuff about how we ought to praise God that things are as good as they are. It may not be perfect, but man, it could be worse. And you ought to focus on the good and you need to learn to be content. And it's a decision that you make. And I was preaching along these lines. Pastor Bob Nichols, I could spend a long time on this, but he has been through some rough stuff. He's had, you know, all of the things that go with ministry, people criticizing you and coming against you and splits in your church and financial pressures. And he'd, he's been through all of that stuff. Plus he had two tornadoes collide over his building. And in 45 seconds, they destroyed $18 million worth of facilities, 230,000 square feet of facilities were destroyed in 45 seconds. And within an hour, he was on CNN saying, praise God, God didn't do this, but God is a good God. We're gonna be twice as good as we were before. And they are, they've now got twice the facility worth over 30 something million dollars in God. But he's been through that. He's been through all this. He had his daughter that had a car wreck, hit her head. She started having seizures, went into the hospital. Jamie and I happened to visit the day that the doctors came in and said that, you know, she's brain dead. Pastor, you need to let her go. And he just said, you know, I appreciate what you're doing. I know you're doing the best you can, but uh, no, she's not brain dead. She's going to live and not die. And that's been what, at least 12 years ago. And she has been, according to the doctors, brain dead. And she still can't talk. She can say a few words, she has walked a little bit. Pretty good for a person whose brain dead. She's doing better. They're seeing progress. But for 12 years, he's had 24-hour-a-day care in his home. People coming in. He's had to deal with his daughter struggling. He's had to deal with the loss of his church. He's had more problems than most of us have ever even thought of. Most of you couldn't think of as many problems as Pastor Bob Nichols has had. And as I was preaching this message about learning to be content and focusing on the good and being thankful for how good things are, this man who had more to complain about than most people, he just was sitting on the front row and he threw his Bible on the floor. Wendell, you were there, weren't you? He threw his Bible on the floor. And he stood up and he said, I've had all of this I can take. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. And he just started praising God for how good he was. And other people who had little problems in comparison to Pastor Bob started hitting their knees and repenting and people started asking God to forgive them for being so unthankful for all of the goodness. I tell you, brothers and sisters, we are blessed, 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 blessed. I don't care what's going on in your life. It could be worse. You ought to praise God that things are as good as they are. And if you know the Lord, if everything, the worst thing that could happen is that you die, that's no big deal. You're going to die anyway. It's just a matter of when you die, how you die, but you're going to go to be with the Lord if we were thinking properly and thinking about how, you know, this is what he said to his disciples in John 14, one, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Then the very next verse says in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. Why did he start talking about heaven? Because he told him, don't let your heart be troubled. And even if you don't understand the crucifixion and the resurrection, and if everything looks bleak and if everything looks bad, close your eyes and think about heaven. I'm going to heaven and prepare a place. And that's, that backs up, see, and helps you to be able to let not your heart be troubled. If you were to put everything into the context of eternity... If you were to lift your head up and instead of just looking straight down at your feet and seeing your immediate problem right now, and if you were to lift up your eyes and look into the future, your future is so bright, you got to squint to look at it. God's blessings are all over you. And if you never experience it in this life, you are going to be conformed to his image. When you see him, you will be like him. You're going to be like Jesus someday. Some of you, that's just nearly impossible to imagine. (laughs) But you're going to be identical to Jesus. You're already like that in your spirit. But someday, spirit, soul, and body, you're going to be identical to Jesus. All of the problems of this world are going to be over. And if you could look at that, it would just shrink your problems down. You'd put them into perspective and it'd be like, it's no big deal. no big deal. I know some of you are thinking, why are you preaching on this? Because this is how Satan comes against you. It's how he came against Adam and Eve. He made them discontent. They never would have gone against God's things if they weren't so dissatisfied with perfection, thinking that there had to be something more. I'm telling you, you need to encourage yourself. It says over in first Samuel chapter 30, that uh, David, after 13 years of running from Saul, his father-in-law, who took his wife and gave her to another man just to hurt David, who tried to kill him, who had done terrible things, killed 72 priests because they gave David some bread. David was responsible for their death. David could have been guilt-ridden. He could have been depressed. He could have been discouraged. And yet David came to a place where he came back to his city with 600 of his men and the, and the um, who was it? The Amalekites had invaded and they burnt the entire town and took all of the women and the children and all of their spoil. After 13 years of running for his life and everything in David's life going bad, David came home and he lost everything. And his men that were with him were so discouraged that they spoke of killing David. It wasn't David's fault. And yet his guys were turning on him and they were going to kill him. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 30, have you got that, Lori? I think it's verse four. It says, then David and the people that were with him lifted up their, or excuse me, then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But look at this, but David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. I guarantee you this didn't come naturally. When you've been suffering for 13 years, you lose everything. Your wife, your children are gone. Your guys are speaking of stoning you, blaming you for this. I guarantee you, you don't just get encouraged by stuff like that. This wasn't just a natural thing. David chose to encourage himself in the Lord, his God. And the way he did it was to call for the ephod. In those days, that would be similar to us calling for the word. He turned to the word and inquired of God. God, what do you have to say? And God encouraged him and he went after them. He recovered all of the spoil. There wasn't a single person lost. He not only got back everything they had lost, but then he had all of the spoil of the Amalekites. So he actually came out better. And within 24 hours, all of his dreams and goals came to pass. If he would have given in to that discouragement and see most people would have thought, well, he was justified. He deserved it. He would have been in denial. You need to vent. You can't hold this stuff in. I'm not telling you to hold it in. I'm saying you ought to cast it over on the Lord because he cares for you is what it says in 1 Peter chapter five. Cast all of your care. I'm not telling you to bury it and suppress it and deny that you have problems. I'm saying take those problems to the Lord and cast it over on him and let him deal with it. David encouraged himself in the Lord and because of that within 24 hours he was king. And everything began to work out. If he would have quit, he was just moments away from his breakthrough. But he had to encourage himself. He didn't call somebody else to encourage him. You have to learn how to encourage yourself, and how do you do it? You focus on the good instead of the bad. You start thanking God for how good things are instead of how bad things are. Instead of being like the devil that points out the one thing that God hasn't done for you yet, focus on all of the things that God has done for you and thank Him for it. You know, I think I advertised that book tonight about the four keys to staying full of God. This is basically what that whole thing is about. It's about putting worth and value on what God has done and remembering it and being thankful. Thankfulness makes you go back and focus on what God has done. I can guarantee you, if you are a depressed person, it's because you're focused on the negatives instead of the positives. You have not been giving thanks. If you're depressed, you aren't thanking God for the good things. You're just focused on what you don't have instead of what you do have. And there's things in every one of our lives that we don't have. I've got things right now in my life that aren't the way they're supposed to be. And I could either focus on those things that I don't have and that aren't working or I could focus on what is working. And I just choose to focus on the good. I am focused on all of the awesome things that God does. There have been very few days in the last 44 years that I haven't gone back and thought of March the 23rd, 1968, when God touched my life. I go back every day and remember that and think about it. I was thinking about it today when I was out walking. I think about the goodness of God, about what God has done for me. I go back and remember my victories. Jamie and I just recently were comparing notes. I forgot what it was, but we we just went in, she went into a grocery store and I think I was into a hardware store looking for something. And I remembered the days that I couldn't buy something for a dollar. I didn't have a dollar. And I'd go in and see things that I needed to have and I couldn't get it. I remember Jamie going shopping with just a dollar or two and buying two or three grocery carts full of food. We'd just pray and God would multiply. I don't know how we did it, but we remember those days. We we still remember days that we would go weeks without eating because we didn't have money. I've never gotten over it. And now I can go, I could spend $100 on a meal if I wanted to. I've never gotten over it. I've never forgotten it. Constantly we are thanking God. And I'm not saying we do it perfectly, but I'm saying we do it. We are constantly praising God and remembering where we came from and how good it is. And did you know, because of that, I haven't been depressed or discouraged in 44 years. And I've had a lot of depressing things happen. But you can learn to be content. You can focus on the good. Satan prayed on Adam and Eve and made them discontent with perfection. If you can become discontent with perfection, then I can guarantee you, you can certainly be discontent with the imperfection that we see in our world and in our life. And contentment isn't gonna come just automatically. You're gonna have to choose it. It's a state of mind, not a state of being. And you are gonna have to choose to encourage yourself in the Lord. You're gonna have to make a decision that I'm gonna be a thankful person. I am gonna focus on the good. I am not going to think about all of the bad. That doesn't mean that you put your head in the sand and ignore it. You deal with it, but you aren't focused on it. You aren't obsessing with what you don't have. You're thinking about what you do have. Amen. You know, right now we're in this process of building these buildings and I need millions of dollars. But you know, I'm not looking at what we don't have. I'm looking at what we do have. And yet most people would think, but you still are $8 million short, but you don't understand. I'm $11 million closer than I used to be. Amen. The way I look at it is I'm halfway there. I'm over halfway. If God can get me halfway, he can get me all of the way. But there's some people that instead of looking at what has happened, they'd look at what hasn't happened and they'd worry about it. Man, I just don't have any worry. I honestly don't. I haven't lost a a night's sleep over any of this. And I'm going to do all of this stuff debt-free. We give our materials away. We ask people to give a donation if they want to. Over, what is it, 53% of the people that contact us don't give a dime and we give it to them anyway. The majority don't give a penny and we depend upon the ones who do give to make up the difference. And you know what? It works. I don't know how it works. I got to have $2 million a month. You think you got problems? (laughs) I got to have $2 million a month. I don't know what that comes to, but I suspect it's probably what? $2,000 an hour, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You think you got problems? I could be focused on what I don't have or what I need. But instead, I'm focused on what I've got and how good God's been. You can, choose to, you can choose to look positive on things. There's some of you that are just negative, negative, negative. If they, if they slit your throat with a brand new knife, you wouldn't see the blessing in it. I've got a friend who they literally slit his throat from ear to ear. But you know what? It was a brand new knife and there was no infection and praise God he lived. (laughs) You ought to be praising God. Oh, it was a clean knife. There's something that you can praise God for. I don't care what's going on in your life. Amen. I know some of you think I'm weird, but I think you're weird. (laughs) I tell you what, I've lived on both sides of this fence and it's a lot better over here. It's a lot more fun to just think about the goodness of God and encourage yourself. You can encourage yourself in the Lord the same way as you discourage yourself. You know, some of you say, oh, the devil's just made me depressed. I believe that some of you, the devil probably sits back and takes notes thinking I never thought of that. You have probably given the devil some ideas about how to hurt people. You, you do such a good job that the devil can take a vacation. You are just negative. You focus on everything wrong. If you lose two pounds, you think ah, my goal was three pounds and you just get mad about what you haven't gotten yet. You're always looking at the bad things. You know, I ministered to a woman. I think it was in uh, Merritt Island on Wednesday night and I forgot how it came up, but I was praying for her and I spoke to her and I said, you know, God just speaks to me right now that he's proud of you. And when I said that to that woman, you could just feel her recoil like God, proud of me. That doesn't mean that God's oblivious to our problems. That doesn't mean that God thinks that you're perfect, that God doesn't know your problems, but God doesn't look at us the way that we look at ourselves. And this woman was standing and she was still struggling and had some problems, but she was working through it. And God just told her he was proud of her. And you know what? That woman had a hard time. And I had to stop minister, prophesying and tell her that, look, this is God. And I had to explain to her. And you could see the joy of the Lord just come over her to think that God would be pleased with me. She hadn't been pleased with herself in years. There's some of you that won't let God love you. You won't let God do something nice. You won't let God thank you. You're just negative. You pick yourself apart. I often have people come and say, I've prayed for other people and I see other people healed and I see other people set free and yet I myself have problems. Why can't I receive when God flows through me to other people? And you know what I tell them the majority of time? Because you are harder on yourself than you are other people. You will give other people grace you'll see something wrong in them and know that God loves them, and you'll go ahead and minister to them, but yourself, if you find the slightest little thing, you think God is liable to forsake you because you don't deserve it. We're hard on ourselves I'm telling you the devil has taken what he did with Adam and Eve and multiplied it billions and billions and billions of times over the next over the last five five or six thousand years. And he has gotten people so negative that we are just critical of ourselves and of other people. We gravitate towards the negative. We look for the negative. We emphasize, we magnify the negative. And it ought to be just the opposite. We ought to be remembering the goodness of God and focusing on the good things that God has done. This is how Satan got Adam and Eve into sin. He made them dissatisfied with perfection. And you're going to have to encourage yourself in the Lord. You're going to have to learn to be content. And this is all a product of the way you think. Satan comes against you. The world thinks negatively. You're going to have to quit thinking like the Gentiles think. It'll darken your understanding. It'll deaden you to the things of God. And it'll keep you from receiving. You have to choose. Your mind, you can use it. You can choose what it does. But you know, it takes some discipline on your part. And again, if you just plop yourself in front of a TV and just sit there and let other people think, and you never have any time where you are in control of your thoughts. Your mind is similar to a muscle in that way that if you never use it, it just atrophies. It gets to where you can't think. You just have to let somebody else. You got to plug in and just let somebody else think for you. There's some of you that you can't get in the car without having the radio on and listening to something, some music or talk or something. You'd never have a time that you just think. And yet people who are very uh, successful are people that take time to think. This man, Peter Daniels, who's a multimillionaire, has one day a week that he turns everything off, doesn't take any calls, won't do anything. And he just sits and thinks. Most people would think that's a waste of time. That's the reason you aren't a multimillionaire. (laughs) Thinking is a waste of time. No, it's really important. And I tell you what, when you're just sitting there being amused and having somebody else do all of your thinking, it's not productive. You need to be still. You need to put your mind on the Lord. You need to consciously control how you feel. It's up to you how you feel. It's not up to circumstances. You can choose how you feel. If that's true, which it is, then why in the world do you choose to be depressed? Why do you choose to focus on the negative and think about all the things that could go wrong, have gone wrong? Man, think on all of the good things. You can encourage yourself in the Lord. You can do it. And I tell you, if you would do that, it would transform your relationship. You could think about the goodness of God and what He's done instead of what He hasn't done. Truth is he's done much more than you realize he's done his part, but you may not have seen it manifest yet. And instead of focusing on what hasn't manifest, focus on all of the things that God has done. I had somebody talk to me about this building program and they said, you know, are you, are you confident all this is going to come to pass? And I really am. I don't have a plan B. I think it's all going to work. But you know what? Here's the way that I look at it that God, if, if we never saw those buildings get built, did you know I've already seen some awesome miracles? Over the last two years to see an additional $11 million come in above our normal $2 million per month, that's awesome. I'm blessed. I'm happy. If we never saw that stuff happen, I'd still be blessed. I look at it as I'm shooting at the stars and if I miss, I'm going to hit the moon. That's more than most people have ever done. <laughs> you know what? I've already seen God do things and I'm just thankful for where I am. And I believe all the rest of it's going to come to pass, but it's no skin off my teeth. It's not going to bother me. Amen. I'm already blessed. If, if something happened right now and if I was to lose the ministry, if I was to get out of the ministry, if I went back to pouring cement for a living, I would rejoice over how awesome it's been for the last 44 years. God's been good to me. He's been better to me than what I deserve. And I wouldn't be looking at what I don't have. I'd be looking at what I do have and how good God has been. And I've got enough that has happened that I could be thankful the rest of my life. God raised my son from the dead. God has done miracle after miracle. God has provided for me. God's done good things. I got no reason to complain. I am not going to complain. I have learned to be content. I am one happy person. Amen. And you can be too. And if you'll do that, it'll stop the devil in his tracks. He doesn't know what to do with you when you're content. Amen. Praise God. Father, I thank you for these truths. I thank you for what you've done in my life, the revelation and the impact that this has made on me. And I just share these things tonight. And I believe that you are helping people in here who have become susceptible to all of the negativism that Satan started in the Garden of Eden, looking at the one thing that isn't right in their life and refusing to rejoice or have any peace or joy until everything is absolutely perfect. Father, I pray that you just counter that negativism and that people begin to start thanking you for how good it is. Thank you, Father, that things are as good as they are. Father, there's things in this nation that need to change. There's many things wrong in our government and in our nation. But Father, it's so much better than what Paul dealt with where the emperor thought he was God and proclaimed himself as God, where they killed people with impunity, where they oppressed people. Thank you, Father, that things are as good as they are in the United States. Thank you for the freedoms that we have. Thank you, Father, for the godly people that we have and the way that you're raising people up and that you're countering all of these things and that righteousness will exalt this nation. Father, thank you for the things that we've already been healed of. Thank you for these testimonies that we've heard. Even if a person is still struggling with sickness in their body, we rejoice with others, with this rabbi who I talked to tonight, who was healed of leukemia, for the people that have been healed of multiple sclerosis, for the Barrettos that you've healed their marriage and prosper them. and Father, we just thank you for these good things that are happening. Even if it's not happening in our life, thank you that you are alive and well and moving. Father, we thank you that you are moving and that awesome things are happening. Thank you, Father, for our health. Thank you, Father, that we are still alive today and everything that has breath, we are going to praise the Lord. Father, we give you praise. Thank you for a beautiful day, for a beautiful sunrise, a beautiful sunset. Thank you, Father, for all of the things that you've done. And I just pray that this negativism, the depression, the fear, the discouragement, us people submitting to the lies of the devil, I believe that those things are countered and overcome tonight and that people will begin to start choosing to rejoice and focus their attention on you how good you are. Thank you, Father. Father, we agree and we receive all of this. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. Amen. Y'all agree with that? Thank you, Father. You know, some people think you gotta be more profound than that. I believe that Adam and Eve They didn't have any demons to cast out. They didn't pray for their government. They weren't wrestling demons and casting down strongholds. You know what Adam and Eve did when they met with God every day in the cool of the evening? They said, God, beautiful creation. We saw some of the most awesome scenery today. We saw a tree today. We ate a fruit today that this was the best one yet. God, this you outdid yourself. It's just awesome. Thank you for this piece of fruit. He said things like, God, we saw a duck bill platypus today. It's like you had all of these parts left over and you just made this one animal out of everything. That was that was amazing. They saw an elephant and they said, It's got two tails. They, I'm sure that this is how they talked to him. Man, it's God, God, this is absolutely amazing. All of your creation. And they were just thanking him for the sunrise. Beautiful sunrise today. Beautiful sunset. Father, the, the, that's the kind of stuff that they fellowshiped with him about. You know what? You need to just thank God. Thank God that there's air to breathe. We, you know, water used to be free. I was talking to David about this. Who would have ever thought that you'd be paying two and $3 for a little bottle of water? It used to be free. Praise God, air's still free. They don't charge you for air yet. There's enough air for over eight billion or seven billion, whatever it is, people on the face of the earth. And there's no shortage of air. And you didn't even have to think about it today. You know what? God gave you all of the air that you need you got things to be praising God for. Praise God. Things are as good as they are. You know, if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus personally, I pray that today you would recognize that God loves you and that he's already provided salvation. You don't even have to ask him to forgive you of your sins. He's already done it. It's a matter of, will you receive it? The Bible says the way you receive it, Romans 9. if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. He's already made the provision. Everything's done. Now, will you receive it? Would you make Jesus your Lord tonight and be totally changed inside and receive this forgiveness? If you've never done that, you ought to do that tonight. And then once you get born again, The Bible says you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He told his disciples, don't talk to anybody, don't go anywhere, don't do anything until you receive power from on high. They were already born again. They were changed on the inside, but they didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is not difficult, it's impossible. You cannot live a Christian life under your strength and under your power. You have to have the Holy Spirit flowing through you and empowering you to do things that are beyond yourself. So if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, even if you're born again, you need to receive it. And it includes speaking in tongues. It's not limited to that. There's more to it than that. But when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you get this ability to bypass your brain where all of the confusion and the negativism is. And you get to pray right out of your spirit directly to God without going through the filter of this unbelief and fear and worry and care. And I tell you, it builds you up. The Bible says you build yourself up in Isaiah chapter 28. It says, this is the rest. And this is the refreshing wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And that was quoted in the new Testament as referring to speaking in tongues. So if you ever do get discouraged, if you ever have something come against you, all you got to do is start praying in tongues and you refresh yourself. You build yourself up on your most holy faith. Jude chapter one, verse 21, 20 and 21. You build yourself up. It's just like you got a switch on the inside that if you ever start being overwhelmed, just start praying in tongues and it gives peace and rest. It refreshes. It builds you up on your most holy faith. I tell you, it's powerful. It's really powerful. If you don't have that, you need it. And I would like to pray with you and help you to receive. So is there anybody here tonight who needs one or both of those? You either need to receive your salvation and make Jesus your Lord and or you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and I'd like to pray for you and help you to receive. Anybody, if that's you, raise your hand right where you are. Here's a hand back here. Anybody else? Here's another one over here. Here's a few more. You know, I think we've already had 126 people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in two services, but we've got more here. Some of you may not be raising your hand because you're thinking, what are you gonna do? I'm gonna ask you to come down front. I'm gonna ask you to let us pray with you and then we're gonna give you a free book. I don't have anything for you to join I'm not taking anything from you. I'm going to give you a free book. We want to help you. And so there's no reason not to come. Somebody says, but what if I go down there and nothing happens? I can guarantee you if you don't come down here, nothing's going to happen. I can't guarantee you that you'll receive because it depends on you. But I can guarantee you if you don't even try it, nothing's going to happen. I'd encourage you to come and let God fill you with his Holy Spirit. It'll change your life. Amen. Some of you may think, well, this speaking in tongues is new to me. And you may have, you know, because I don't spit and scream and have a handkerchief wiping my fevered brow and act like a Pentecostal. Many of you came here not knowing that this was one of those tongue talking meetings, but it is. You're now guilty by association. They are going to talk about you. So you might as well, if if you're going to get talked about anyway, you might as well get something for it. Amen. So I encourage you to come. It'll bless you. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand and didn't do it, just come right down here and let us pray with you. And we want to help you to receive. Thank you, Jesus. Let's praise God for all of these. Isn't this awesome? you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great? Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Boy, you'll never be the same. I believe you're going to be stronger and horseradish after this. So we've already had like 126. I don't know how many of this is, but this is 20 more than 20, 30 or something. So, isn't that awesome? Do you know on the day of Pentecost, they only had 120 receive the baptism in the whole in the upper room, and then they got so full of God they went out into the temple area, and that day they had. 3,000 people get born again as a result. So we've already had that many people receive. If you were to take this out and start putting it into your world, man, we could see lots of people's lives change. This is gonna make a big, big difference in your life. Amen. Before I can pray with you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says Jesus is the one who fills people with the Holy Spirit. So you've got to receive Jesus before you receive his gift. You've got to make sure that you've received salvation and that Jesus is literally living on the inside of you. You can't receive this gift of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues until you've also, first of all, received Jesus as your Savior. So, is there anybody who isn't absolutely certain that you've done that? You aren't sure whether Jesus is living on the inside of you. I need to pray with you first before we pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and I'd like to pray with you first. Anybody? Here's one down here. Praise God. Man, this is awesome. Anybody else? You know, I constantly encourage people because there's a lot of people that are just assuming that they're saved. They think, well, I go to church. I believe that there's a God. The Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 19, you believe that there's one God, the devils also believe and tremble. But won't you know, O oh vain man, that faith without works is dead? Just believing that there's a God and even believing that Jesus is the son of God doesn't mean you're saved. The devil believes that. The thing you've got to do is to make Jesus your Lord. You've got to turn your life over to him. You've got to commit your life to God. And the Bible says that when you do this, you know that you've passed from death unto life. You've got a witness in yourself and you know that your life has been changed. So if you don't have that assurance, if you don't know for sure, if you were to die right now, do you know beyond any shadow of a doubt where you would go? If you don't, you ought to pray with me right now to make Jesus your Lord. Anybody else want to pray and just make sure? rest of you sure. I'm not trying to talk you out of it. You just gotta be sure. Well, praise God. Man, this lady down here, what a blessing. We're gonna pray with you and I believe that God is gonna change your life. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer that says basically what you need to say. You don't have to say these exact words, but you have to say things similar to this and I'd like you to pray with me. And if you'll say this and mean it in your heart, you will be born again. Is that good? Awesome. Let's everybody pray this so she won't feel like we're just listening to her. Say, Father... I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. I believe that you now live in me. I am forgiven, I am saved. Right now, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You believe that? Awesome. Welcome to the family. Man, isn't that great? You know, on the outside, this lady is still a lady, but on the inside, she now is a brand new person. You just totally changed on the inside. And the Bible says that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the importance of that is that this is what you were created to be. Every one of you now has made Jesus your Lord and in your spirit, you are a temple, a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. That's what God created you for. So you don't have to wonder, will he give you the Holy Spirit? This is what you were made for. He wants you to have the Holy Spirit more than you want to have him. So we aren't gonna beg, we aren't gonna plead, we're just going to open up the doors of this temple and give him freedom. He won't force himself in. You have to invite him in. And we're just going to pray a real simple prayer. Some people will tell you that if you have any sin in your life, that you can't receive the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit won't fill a dirty vessel. That is not true. God doesn't have any other kind of vessel to fill. Amen. We've all got problems in our life. And if you've got a problem, God is wanting to give you the Holy Spirit so you can overcome those problems in his power. So don't let some sense of unworthiness or some problem that you've got keep you from receiving. God is gonna give every one of you the Holy Spirit tonight when we pray. And then I'm gonna ask our prayer ministers to come up here and they're gonna stand behind you and they're gonna lay hands on you because the bible says that when the disciples laid hands on people the holy spirit would come upon them. So we're going to do exactly what they did in the bible. I'm going to lead you in a prayer then they're going to lay hands on you. And after they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking God to come fill you with the holy spirit and just believe that he did it. He gave you a promise in Luke 11:13. It says if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's a promise. And so we're gonna ask, they're gonna lay hands on and then I want you to quit asking and just start thanking him. I don't care what you feel like. Sometimes people feel awesome things. When I received the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel a thing, but I got it. I believed and I received the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna, I'm gonna ask you after they lay hands on you to start thanking God out loud for giving you the Holy spirit. And at that time, after they lay hands on you, I want you to lift your hands up like this. Cause when you lift your hands, the Bible says that you lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. This blesses God. It's like when somebody puts a gun in your back and you go, I yield, I surrender. It's a way of saying, God, I just yield to you. Amen. So we're going to lead you in a prayer. They're going to lay hands on you. You're going to lift your hands and start thanking God. And then those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to pray in tongues. And as we pray in tongues, I want you to just join in with us and start speaking in tongues. And I wish I had more time. I'm not going to take more time, but I've got a lot more. I could tell you, I've got a book that I'm going to give every one of you that will explain this. I know many of you don't understand the importance of it. You don't know what to do, but it's really, really powerful. You've got to understand it and this book will explain everything to you. Let me just give you one thing before we pray. The number one thing that held me and most people back is you think that God is gonna force you to speak in tongues. You're just gonna open your mouth and he'll take control and make you talk in tongues. That's not how it is. It's very similar to when I spoke tonight. I spoke, I thought of this That's the reason it came out in Texan. It was me talking. I thought of it, but I believe it was inspired. I think that it was inspired of God. It wasn't just me. It was me speaking, but I was speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this is what it says in Acts 2, 4. They spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. He inspires you. And you have to speak and by faith believe that the Holy Spirit's inspiring it. And again, my book will explain it in more detail, but that's what we're going to do. And if you're ready, you can speak in tongues tonight. Isn't that awesome? It's going to change your life. I believe you're never going to be the same. Amen. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you, Father, for the lady that received salvation tonight and for every one of these. According to your word, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You created us to fill with your Holy Spirit, a place for your Holy Spirit to dwell. And Holy Spirit, we open up the doors of this temple right now and we welcome you to come. We want you to live in us and give us your power and give us these gifts. Holy Spirit, we want the ability to speak in tongues, to bypass our brain and pray out of this born again part of us and pray under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We desire it, so we open up our heart and welcome you to come in right now in Jesus' name. We lay hands on you in Jesus' name, and we release this power of the Holy Spirit into you right now. Holy Spirit, we just loose you into every one of these people. Come upon them, within them. Fill them with your power, with these gifts of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, and we believe that we receive it. Now, I want you to quit asking and let's just lift your hands and thank God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. Glorify God and say, thank you, Father, for giving me the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that I am God possessed, that your power is on the inside of me. Hallelujah. Boy, that is the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit flowing in you right now. Those of you that speak in tongues, let's begin to start praying in tongues and worship God. Speak in your language. The Bible says when you're speaking in tongues, you're giving thanks unto God. Let's just praise God for these. And as we speak in tongues, you speak with us. You can't speak in tongues with your mouth closed. You're going to have to open your mouth and start making noise. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you say. But your tongue's going to be different than theirs. You can't say the same thing. Your tongue will be unique to you. But once you start and it comes out different, just keep talking, keep making noise, keep speaking. Praise the Lord. Be bold, just speak out. Don't worry about what it sounds like a little baby when they first start talking. It doesn't sound like English, but that parent knows what they're trying to say and that parent's pleased. Your heavenly father is pleased with you right now. He's receiving your praise. It doesn't matter. Ambre ea sin della comaria solo no Just speak out, be bold. Ko harashi kilaba odondoro mi in de la ambaroyo rotoma correa sim mediaramba. Doro shati di kivi alla mocorondoro mariante. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for filling all of these with the Holy Spirit. Sister, don't shake your head. No, shake it. Yes, yes, yes. Man, focus on the positive. Make yourself content. The power of God's flowing in you. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Many, many, many of these people. Most of them, I think, are speaking in tongues. Man, you're bypassing your brain. You're praying right out of that born again part of you. You don't know what you're saying, but you're communicating to God on a level that is stronger than your intellect. You're praying out of this born again part. It's powerful. It's powerful. You'll come to understand more about this. But just let this flow out of you right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Awesome. Praise God. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you know what? I want to make sure that you get the full benefit of this. And I can promise you there's not a person down here, I don't care what you felt or didn't feel, there's not a person down here that has a full understanding of what just happened to you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues is it's infinitely more powerful than what any of you know. And you've got to understand this and continue in it and develop in it to get the full benefit of it. So I want to give you a book that will help you to understand what this is all about, because until you understand it, you aren't going to have the full benefit in your life. And let me also say that if you didn't speak in tongues tonight, I believe God still gave you the Holy Spirit because He promised that He would. When I first prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't speak in tongues. It took me three and a half years, but that's because I was a Baptist. And I was so messed up in my thinking, so fearful about everything that it took me three and a half years to get my mind renewed. But you know what? I can pray in tongues now. And I pray in tongues a lot. I've prayed in tongues a lot today. And so whether you spoke in tongues or not, God gave this to you. You just need to understand it and get some questions answered and this book will help you. And I promise you, it'll make a big, big difference in your life. So if you would, this is Robert right here in this aisle. He's the one standing there with his Bible up and he's gonna take you to a room if you would go with him. You don't have to, but we ask you to and they will give you the books they have people there. They've been seeing a lot of miracles happen back there. People have been getting prayed for. So if you just follow Robert for a moment, he's going to give you this book. They'll pray with you. They'll help you. And we want you to get the full benefit of this. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's awesome. Hey, God bless you. you, You're welcome. Ah. Now you're healed. So thanks for everybody. If you need prayer up here, I'd like to ask you to come right now. These are our prayer ministers. These are people that are full of the Holy Spirit. They're people that have been trained how to speak to the problem instead of speaking to God about the problem. And we've been seeing great miracles. All of these miracles that I talked about tonight came through our prayer ministers. They're the ones that God has been using. So I wanna ask you that if you need prayer for anything, I'd like to give you an invitation to come right now and let one of our prayer ministers pray with you. And we're gonna believe God for great miracles, amen. So if that's you, just get up out of your seat and come forward. We've got some of our uh, people standing at the aisles and they're gonna direct you towards a prayer minister. So please cooperate with them so that everybody just won't pile up on one side. And we believe that God is going to do miracles in your life. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, let me also mention, I know most people are gone, but we do have DVDs and CDs of the three services. That's including tonight's that we've already had. They're already duplicated out here and you can get those services. And I tell you, the things that I was talking about, like tonight, you need to hear this over and over. There's not very many people that are gonna point out the good things that God has done and help you to be positive. And this would be great to have this and just play it every once in a while, just to check your attitude. So anyway, we've already got all of those duplicated out there. I encourage you to please take advantage of it. If you need prayer, come forward and let someone pray with you praise God the rest of you we went a little late tonight but I'm going to let you go but if you need prayer we will be here to pray with you as long as you as we need to be. we want to give everybody an opportunity to receive. The rest of you remember that tomorrow we have a service at 10 a.m. and then at 6 p.m. tomorrow night. it's not seven, it's at 6 pm so that my staff can pack up and get out of here a little bit earlier. So we'll start at 6 p.m. tomorrow night. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just agree with all of these and we thank you that in the name of Jesus, they are healed, that you've already provided it and we receive it and we act on your word. We lay hands on the sick and we believe that they are recovering. That, Father, every single person here that tumors are leaving, that blind eyes are open, deaf ears are open, the lame are walking, the dumb are talking. Father, thank you for all kinds of miracles. We just draw on your power and speak it out in the name of Jesus that Satan has no power. Satan is not dominating these people, that Jesus is in control and working, healing miracles in their lives. Father, we receive this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your power flowing in this place. Thank you for gifts of the Spirit, word of wisdom, word of knowledge flowing through every single prayer minister, able to minister directly to the problem. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Father, we agree and we receive it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise God.